You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode 13 in our sacrament series and our second episode on Extreme Unction. Father Stephen Ruder is back to compare and contrast the traditional rite and the new rite, now called the Sacrament of the Sick. Last week, we suggested that this is not a sad sacrament, but a joyful one. However, we also tried to emphasize the seriousness of this moment for the soul as they are entering their final earthly battle. We'll take these concepts from last week and look at the new rite of this sacrament. Is it really preparing our loved ones for this most critical moment before eternity? Is it focusing the prayers of the priest on the soul's eternal salvation instead of just on physical well-being? And is the new rite valid? If it is valid, why are we saying that there's still something wrong with the sacrament of the sick? Father Reuter answers these questions and more over the next 50 minutes. If you like these series and want to help us continue make them, you can help by leaving a small monthly or one-time donation on sspxpodcast.com or by subscribing to this channel on YouTube or by subscribing and leaving a rating for the podcast wherever you're listening. And thank you for helping us with this apostolate to reach as many people as possible with the beauty and the truth of what it means to be a traditional Catholic. Now, let's join Father Reuter for episode 13 of the sacrament series right now. Welcome back to the SSPX Podcast, our next episode on the Sacrament Series with Father Stephen Reuter. Hi, Father. How are you? I'm well, Andrew. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Um, happy to have you back to discuss our second part of the Sacrament of Extreme Unction. Uh, last week, we looked at basically what is the Sacrament of Extreme Unction? What is the meaning behind it? Uh, and today, we're going to be doing sort of a compare contrast of the old rite, the traditional rite, and the new rite. Is that correct? That's correct. We'll look at the new rite of extreme unction, which was came into effect in the church in 1973. At that time, it was given the name, the Sacrament of the Sick, and it replaced for the church the traditional Sacrament of Extreme Unction. And the comparison between the two rites does show a stark contrast. Extreme Unction, as it is called in the traditional rite, prepares the soul for the final battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it prays to heal the soul from the wounds, the diseases, which the soul has received throughout its life. Sin, and notably and primarily the consequences of sin. So really, extreme unction is seen as the, the final strengthening in this great battle, and so, so that the soul emerges victoriously, so it's fortified in this final battle. And it's a continuation of that same spirit of strengthening and that same spirit of fighting against the devil, which is manifest in all of the other traditional sacraments. The sacrament of the sick, as it's called, does refer to the healing of the soul, but it primarily refers to the healing of the body physical pain, psychological pain. So in fact, what we're seeing is a bit of an inversion of the order. We saw last week and very clearly that the first object is the healing of the soul and secondarily and to the extent necessary, the healing of the body when that's necessary for the healing of the soul. But here we really see a change of focus, which is an expression of naturalism, which has pervaded society for the last few centuries. So in the, in the sacrament of the sick, as it's called now, um, is it, is it similar to the Holy sacrifice of the mass, the Holy Christ and similar to baptism where there are lots of different options, or is it pretty much set in stone? Like the traditional, like the traditional, right? Yes. True to, to form, so to speak, all the new sacraments have many options and encourage creativity. And so before to compare the two rites side by side, we can note just how many options there are. In the introduction prayer, introductory prayer, we have two options already. And then when it comes to confession, there's in fact eight options, which the priest can choose from. And then there's the liturgy of the word in which there are three options. The blessing of the oils, there's two options. The anointing, we can say two options. The prayer after the anointing, we have seven options. In the very Our Father, there's already two options on how to introduce the Our Father. And the conclusion of the rite also offers four options. So we do see, again, this creativity, these options being given to the minister. 
in the other sacraments, we've seen um, that there are these motivations behind why the changes happened, um, whether it's ecumenism or the new theology or or what have you. Are these kind of the same reasons for the changes in the sacrament as well? Yes, all of the the new the new rites of sacraments are an expression of of at a, at a very radical level naturalism. We see this naturalism pervading the church, but the more proximate motive is that of ecumenism trying to please the Protestants, the heretics, trying to remove a stumbling block from those who don't accept Catholic theology. So that's ultimately, you know, the most proximate reason for these changes is is that motive of ecumenism. And in this case, we'll see primarily trying to bring in elements of the Anglican and Lutheran liturgies or prayer services for the dead. And hopefully Mm -hmm. in their mind, to make this sacrament, which otherwise is not accepted by the Lutherans or the Anglicans, to make this sacrament more acceptable to them. We, we don't often hear of sacraments or sacramental-type ceremonies being done by, by Protestants. So Lutherans and Anglicans both had some sort of a sacrament for the sick like this? Yes. Or a or, blessing of the sick? Yes. It's not the same theology behind it, of course, but the 1549 Book of Common Prayers has the order for the visitation of the sick. And since 1928, the Anglicans extended this rite to anoint the dying as well as the sick. And already here, we notice that the name in the new rite reflects the name of the Anglican ceremony. So we have the sacrament of the sick now, and the Anglicans had the visitation of the sick. And the Lutherans likewise had a ceremony, a type of liturgy, a prayer service for commending the dying souls. And we'll see as we make some comparisons, that elements of both of these these ceremonies are incorporated into the Catholic sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Okay, so that's the that's kind of the background of of why the changes um, happened. Um, I guess can we start to look at these two ceremonies, the two liturgies, or I guess liturgies isn't the right word, but these two sacraments side by side. Um, and on, on the screen, we will put up on graphics so that people can see side by side um, as well. Great. Yes, that's that's where we'll go. I think it's worthy to note just before that, that the beginning of the rite, the ritual, sets kind of the precedent, kind of gives the theme. And so it's always good to look at the beginning to see where are we going. And we do see in the, the new rite, the orientation is changed. And does put the focus on the body, as we already mentioned, and also puts a focus on the whole community. The whole community is there present, and we'll see throughout the traditional rite. We are always praying with the community these different prayers, but the focus is sure. that person who's dying, and we're all praying for them. We ask for blessings for everybody because we're all there, but we are praying for that soul who is in their final battle or who is approaching their final battle. <clears throat> So we'll start okay. with the introduction. The traditional rite is very beautiful and is very simple. The priest arrives at the, the place of the sick person, often the dying person. And there are many references to the home in the traditional rite because it was taken for granted that at this most solemn occasion, the most important moment of our life in many ways, we're at home, surrounded by our loved ones, with the priest, receiving the sacrament, which is a, a beautiful and in normal way to pass from this life to the next. So the priest comes in, he arrives, and he says, peace be in this home. So we're praying for the peace of God in this home and all who live here. He then is given directions, which are very specific, which again, we don't see in the new rite of sacraments, these specific directions. The priest places the oil of the infirm on a table. He has a linen laid out. He vests in a surplus and violet stole. He then takes the crucifix and presents it to the patient to kiss devoutly. So this idea of bringing Jesus Christ to souls, which is what the sacraments are. He sprinkles holy water in the sign of the cross on the patient and on the bystanders. And he prays the penitential psalm of King David, that famous Psalm 50, which we often pray, which reminds us that we are sinners. So purify me with a hyssop, O Lord. And I shall be cleansed of my sins. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Have mercy on me, God, in thy great kindness. 
So we're asking for mercy. We're asking for purification because we are sinners. And so it's very clear. Jesus Christ in the crucifix, Psalm 50, we need to be purified of our sins. The new rite, we see the focus is you know very different. There's two options, as we mentioned. Option one is, let this water call to mind our baptism into Christ, who by his death and resurrection has redeemed us. So again, there's nothing theologically wrong with that statement, but in the context, it's very lacking. So this first press prayer gives the impression that the death of Christ has already saved us, which does correspond to the Protestant notion of redemption, that redemption is done. God has justified us. We're saved by faith alone. And there's no need for what we call in Catholic theology subjective redemption, which means ministers have to apply that redemption to souls or souls have to pray so as to receive that redemption. So yes, Christ did die on the cross and saved us from our sins, but that grace is applied through human instruments. And even once we've had the faith, we can still lose sanctifying grace. We can still be saved. So here we do see a catering to the Protestant theology, if you can call it theology, by which there's no focus on that work of the minister, our need for redemption, and instruments which bring us that redemption. Then option two, like a stream in a parched land, may the grace of the Lord refresh our lives. So again, a beautiful reality. Without grace, we're parched. We need grace. But it's not speaking of the grace as specific to the, the sacrament, which is healing the wounds of our soul. We remember that in all the sacraments, a gra- grace is applied in a very specific way. And this sacrament is to heal the remnants of sin. There's no reference to that in this prayer. It's a simple refreshment, which is not all we need when we're dying. We need to be healed of the sins and the remnants of sin. So in the traditional rite, there's, there are specific instructions on what the priest should do uh, when he enters the room, home, hospital, whatever. Uh, are there specific instructions in the, in the new rite also? It does give... The next part of the new rite is an instruction. It's not an instruction in the sense of telling the priest what to do. It's more of an instruction for the faithful, the instruction the priest gives the faithful. But um, we can certainly look at that now, which in the traditional rite, we see later at the end a bit of an instruction in telling the people what happened. But this is um, a change from the old to new rite. So the new rite gives an instruction that resembles really the Lutheran service in which we see a lot of emphasis on the community, and a focus on bodily health. So we can read parts of that. My dear friends, we are gathered here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is present among us. As the gospel relates, the sick came to him for healing. Moreover, he loves us so much that he died for our sake. Through the apostle James, he has commanded us, Are there sick amongst you? Let them send for the priest of the church and let the priest pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. And if they have committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Let us therefore commend our sick brother or sister to the grace and power of Christ, that he may save him or her and raise him or her up. So again, nothing obviously against the faith. But the focus, and again, this is the introduction, this is how the priest is introducing the sacrament to the dying person, is about healing the body. There is the reference to St. James and healing the soul, so we can't go too far here. But we recognize that if you read that, 90% of it plus is referring to raising up, healing the body. And then again, that's part of extreme unction, but that's not the primary purpose. We're not going to live forever no matter what. Um, And the sacraments for that final battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so the traditional rite at this point doesn't have a corresponding instruction for the faithful. The traditional rite jumps right into what we're doing, which is prayer and fighting the devil. And this prayer, which the traditional rite gives, really shows what's going on during the sacrament. So we'll pray, we'll recite some of that prayer. So along with our lowly coming, so the priest refers to himself as a minister. You know, he's a instrumental cause, a separated instrumental cause. So he's referring to himself as that, a lowly minister, 
but he is in the order of causality, which brings God's grace. Along with our lowly coming, O Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the conjoined instrumental cause, through whom all the sacraments receive their power, let there enter into this home unending happiness. So, eternal happiness, we're saying. Divine blessings, untroubled joy, a charity which is fruitful, continual health. So, we are praying for continual health, but you see that it's after all the spiritual blessings. Then drive away from this place the evil spirit, So again, we're in conflict with the devil. Let the angel of peace come hither. We believe in the angels. And banish all harmful discussion from this house. So then the prayer finishes as all prayers finish. Sanctify the coming of your unworthy servant. For thou art holy, thou art kind. Thou art abiding with the Father and the Holy Spirit in all eternity. So we see that prayer, which right after the priest comes in and prays the psalm of King David, he puts down the holy oils, the stole is on, the violet, and he starts to pray for spiritual healing. And the people are following along, because we do pray in Latin. The people are following along, and they see that this is, this is a real battle. This is a serious moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, striking. Just, again, that, that correspondence. And again, nothing, nothing quote-unquote, wrong with the prayer that is said in the New Rite. It's a beautiful prayer. It's very nice. Um but there's that distinct difference of, of intent between healing of the body and healing of the soul. Exactly. And again, we live in this materialistic, naturalistic world where everybody, everybody considers health their primary good. The only thing they fear is physical death. And this doesn't help. This doesn't help the right. whole orientation of the world. And then there's two more prayers the priest does pray, which are also very beautiful. Let us pray to our Lord Jesus Christ and beseech him to bless with his abundant benediction this home and all who dwell herein. So we do. We, we pray for all those who are in the home. May you appoint over them a good angel as a guardian and assist them to serve him, to contemplate the grandeur of his law. May he turn away all power that would harm them, free them from anxiety and distress. So the church is aware there is anxiety and distress, which is a natural thing. Keep them in well-being within their home. So all the elements are there, even the elements of the body, psychological elements, but they're in their proper place. That's what's key. Mm-hmm. Then the final prayer during this section, let us pray, Hear us, O Lord, Father Almighty, Eternal God, and deign to send thy holy angel from heaven to guard, cherish, protect, and defend all who dwell in this home. So in these prayers, we see the priest praying for all things that the patient needs, but praying for them in their proper order. Um, it's very beautiful. Um, in the sacrament of extreme unction, there is, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if I'm understanding this properly, there is almost a, a space carved out within it for a second sacrament, which is the sacrament of confession. Uh, and we should not confuse the fact that oftentimes confession is done if the patient is conscious, obviously. Um, that this is part of extreme unction as a whole. It is two different sacraments, but they are kind of, uh, confession is kind of sandwiched inside extreme unction. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. In the traditional rite, the priest, after the introduction, after the specific prayers we just recited, he does offer the patient confession. And confession is meant to be, um, the patient's meant to go to confession because extreme unction is a sacrament of the living. So as all the normal rites, which you saw a few episodes ago about confession, they're all offered to the patient, and he is to, to take advantage of them. Of course, often the person's unconscious. In that case, then if they are in the state of mortal sin, the sacrament of the living, which extra function is, becomes a sacrament of the dead by accident, we can say. And it does take away the guilt of mortal sin. But we do always offer and ask the person to go to, go to confession, and it'd be very strange for somebody who cares about eternal salvation, about to meet our Lord, say, eh, I don't really want to go to confession. Whereas that's right. exactly what the new rite has done. It's really taken the focus off this sacrament of confession, which we see all throughout the new rites. Is we see public confessions, which is offered to the person or the people, because now it's often given in the church for everybody over a certain age. So public mm-hmm. confession or skip confession altogether, general absolution. 
which again is all very risky because the sacrament of extreme unction is a sacrament of the living and it only works to take away sin to the extent that we were unable to go to confession. You can't just say, you know what, I don't want to confess these mortal sins. Therefore, I'm just going to skip confession and let extreme unction do it. That wouldn't do it. It would be to yeah. abuse the sacrament and put your eternal soul in grave, grave danger. Right. And so, yes, confession is is not considered necessary in the new rite. It can be skipped very easily. So no emphasis on the sacrament of confession. And instead of what it does, and this is very telling, is it skips directly to the liturgy of the word, which again is something mm-hmm. we see in the new mass, the new rites, all this focus on the word of God. Well, as Catholics, we have great devotion to the word of God. We pray scripture every day, we hope, at least the priests do, and hopefully the faithful. We meditate upon the word of God. We realize the word of God is a two-edged sword. Um, we know that all the word of God is edifying. But what the Protestants do is they say only the word of God. And then, of course, they interpret the word of God to their own destruction. So here we see this focus on the word of God. So after the confession is performed, maybe, in the new rite, or skipped, they then introduce this this element which we do see in the Lutheran prayer service, the Word of God. And where in the Lutheran service there was one one um, part of Scripture, proposed Mark chapter 2. The New Rite, of course, for variety, adds a few more. And they're beautiful quotes, of course, it's the Word of God. Jesus can forgive us our sins and reconcile us with God. Okay, so let's meditate upon that. Jesus can forgive our sins and reconcile us with God. But why meditate upon that? after skipping going to confession, right? right? So that's a very Protestant idea is Jesus directly forgives our sins. Of course, we're not saying that the the new rite is saying all these things, but it's implying that the word of God is more important than sacramental confession at this very crucial moment of a person's life. And so this is very much an ecumenical move in the new rite to shift the focus from sacramental confession, which the Protestants do not accept, and put the focus on Jesus directly forgiving sins, which, of course, the Protestants do accept. Okay. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and, and like you said, even if it's not directly implying that idea, it's not forceful in saying, you know, the the truth. Um, it's, it's almost exactly. sinning by omission. Again, just even to be as as uh, fair as possible to the new right. It's, yep. it's not as forceful. If nothing else is an omission. Yep. Yeah. And we are our environment, so to speak. If the priest is constantly skipping confession for the penitent, if the people aren't going to confession, it creates a lukewarmness. It creates an idea of redemption, which is not true. Um, and much of the new right, like um, with the new mass, much of the problems with the new right are by way of omission. And mm. when we omit key documents which which teach key controversial truths, well, the consequence is finally going to be that we no longer accept these truths with all their integrity or no longer live them as we right. ought. And that's constantly the problem. Right. Well, what, what happens next in, in the sacrament, Father? Next, there is the litany. And we do see a parallel. You can show them on the screen side by side. In the traditional rite, the priest invites all present to pray for the sick person in their final battle. And the church, as a solicitous mother, gives us very specific prayers she wants us to pray. Specifically, the seven penitential psalms of King David. So these psalms by which King David expressed that he was a sinner in need of God's mercy. Right? David is the extraordinary penitent. He committed a double grave sin of adultery and murder, but through his penance he was healed. So this is reminding us that we all, to some extent, are like King David. We're sinners. But we all, hopefully, like King David, are repenting. And these psalms are meant to inspire us to really have this spirit of repentance. So the faithful will pray the seven penitential psalms, but also the litany of the saints. Because the saints are where we want to be, and we are where they were. They know the struggle we're going through. And we believe in their intercession. Again, unlike the Protestants, we believe in their intercession. And therefore, the seven penitential psalms and this full litany of the saints really disposes the soul who's being prayed for. He hears the litany, hears the prayers, and also calls down the grace from heaven upon the soul. And so that's you know the next step in preparation for the anointing, which the priest will soon do. 
The new rite does have a parallel, but it abbreviates the litany of the saints. And we can see in some of the prayers, we see reflections of the Anglican prayers, in fact. And it does not invoke the saints. So it's a abbreviated litany without invoking the saints. And then it gives four other prayers. And three of them are about bodily health again. And just to give a little tidbit of each one. So we're praying for physical healing, freedom from harm, relief from suffering, and finally, freedom from sin and temptation. So we do see it's there. We do pray to be freed from sin and temptation in these four prayers, which replace all of the prayers of the litany and the penitential psalms. But 75% of these prayers are referring to something bodily, something temporal, and only 25% to sin temptation. And also it adds prayers for the caregivers, the nurses. So showing all this care for those who are tending to the dying, and of course, it's an act of corporal work of mercy. We want to pray for them. But that's not the purpose of the sacrament. We're not there to pray specifically for them. We're there to give grace to this soul. And then there's, in preparation, again, what we're doing now, as in all sacraments, is the rites prepare us to receive the sacrament in itself. So the sacraments, just like Mass, if there's no ritual surrounding, it would take a couple minutes or a minute. But that would be very disrespectful, right. and it would question even our intention to do what the Church does. So all these rites are disposing the soul to be more prepared to receive the healing of the soul. So we keep that in mind as we move along. There's this progression by which we're preparing the soul to be anointed, preparing the soul to, to meet our Lord ultimately, but more proximally, to have that faith and that contrition, that faith in God's mercy, that sorrow for offending God. And so the next step would be the priest lays his hand upon the head of the patient, which we see, of course, Christ laying his hands upon people, blessing them by the laying of the hands. And the traditional rites, the priest extends his, his right hand above the head of the sick person and prays. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, may all power of the devil become extinct in you through the laying of my hand and through the invocation of the glorious and blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, and St. Joseph, her illustrious spouse, and all of the holy angels, archangels, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, martyrs, confessors, virgins, and all other saints. So Our Lady, the patron of the dying, and all of these saints, all of our patrons, all those who've gone before us, we're praying that they intercede for us. In a certain sense, we're praying that they stand between us and the devil, because they have power over the devil. So we're praying that they stand between us and the devil. And again, it shows our our faith in the intercession of Our Lady, the Mediatrix of all grace, St. Joseph, the patron of the dying, our particular patron saints, and the angels. And here we see an extraordinary disappointment, I would say, with the, the prayer of the new rite, which replaces this. Is God, So not, I'm sorry, it doesn't say God, just it says, give life and health to our brother or sister on whom we lay our hand in your name. Lord, have mercy. So we see that powerful prayer, and then mm-hmm. side by side, give life and health to our brother and sister on whom we lay our hand in your name. So life and health, are they referring to spiritual life or just temporal life? I would say that it's tending to just temporal life. No reference to the eternal life, Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, the patron of the dying, all the angels and saints. In fact, it's very ecumenical. Take away everything which offends the Protestants. So it's an easy prayer for the Protestants to pray. Right. Like you said, it is it is disappointing when you were when you were reciting the other prayer. I literally got goosebumps because it's just so powerful. You're just calling on all of heaven to come down through the power of of the the placing of, of the priest's hand. Yep. And then it's just kind of falls flat on yeah. the Nova sort of yeah. one. And it really is. I would say, I mean, we give sacraments, of course, every day. But performing extramunction is one of the most moving ceremonies we do because you are, you, you, you are in the final battle with the soul. You know that eternity is hanging in the balance based off what mm-hmm. you do as a lowly instrument. You recognize that. Um, you know, we know, as St. Paul says, we chastise our bodies and bring them into submission. 
lest after preaching to others we are cast away. I mean, how many priests save so many souls but could be lost and, and are lost? So sure. we're there as humble servants, but we're in an incredible battle with the devil. It's very moving. It's very moving. Right. Can we speak a little bit, Father, about the oil of the infirm? We, we didn't talk about this uh, last, last episode, um, but just to kind of speak a little bit about the, the oil, which is the, the matter of the sacrament yes. uh, that is used here. Yes. So in the traditional rite, the oil infirm is solemnly blessed by the bishop at the Chrismal Mass on Holy Thursday. I'm sure many people will have seen this ceremony or now live streamed it at one of the ceremonies at one point. It's a very solemn and moving ceremony that elevates the oil to be an instrument of the Holy Ghost. It really is an instrument of the Holy Ghost. And the solemnity of the ceremony helps us to realize how holy these oils are and how we must treat them with great respect. The priest must keep the holy oils in a special place. It's like a tabernacle and treat them with the utmost respect. And so that's traditionally where the holy oils would come from. And traditionally, it's always the diocese bishop, as I think we mentioned last time, who would bless mm-hmm. them for all people in their diocese. So you would go to the diocesan bishop to get your oils and it would show your link to the church through the ordinary jurisdiction through the diocesan bishop. Okay. Um, but then, obviously, this is not a normal situation for the Society of St. Pius X. So how do you, Father, as a priest of the SSPX, how do you get your oils? Yes, due to the crisis in the church, the crisis in the faith, it's morally impossible to get our oils from the diocese bishops. And that's for two reasons. One is we have real doubts about the validity of oil, which is blessed, which is not olive oil. We know that Paul Mm. VI changed that, but he gave no doctrinal reasons on changing it. We also know that if Christ established the sacraments with olive oil, which was the common opinion for you know, for centuries, if Christ established the sacraments using olive oil, then that's necessary for validity. The Pope can change things which pertain to his his limited power, but not if Christ used olive oil in their institution, which we, we have all reasons to think he did. So that's one reason is, you know, if they're using oils which are not olive oil, we doubt the validity of those oils. Second reason is, you know, because of our irregular situation, because of the crisis of faith, it would be very difficult to always try to find bishops who would give us oil. And therefore, in keeping with the solemnity and the spirit of the church, our auxiliary bishops at beautiful pontifical ceremonies at the seminaries consecrate these oils for the members of the society. And then from the seminaries, these oils are sent to every corner of the world, and the priests use these oils consecrated by our auxiliary bishops. Okay. And there can be a case where, let's say, we run out of oil or we come across a dying person and we don't have the oils with us because we don't carry them everywhere we go. We carry them when they're needed because we have to carry them with great solemnity. You know, you don't put them in your briefcase and just keep them with you all the time. Right. And therefore, it can happen where you come across a dying person who's Catholic who needs extra unction. Well, in 1960, the Congregation of Rites gave priests who have this real necessity, they're in front of a dying person who needs extra unction. The Congregation of Rites gave permission for such priests to, to bless oil in the firm for that particular sacrament at that particular time. And so we do lean on and use that permission given from the Sega Congregation in 1960 in order to, because the sacraments are for men and for men's salvation. So you see how the church right. is very merciful she knows a priest can be in a situation where somebody's dying and they, they need extra unction. So the church does want to accommodate that. And that's in accordance with, let me say, the spirit of the church. Because even before 1960, the Pope would give permission to certain priests to bless oils. So we see there's no real question of validity there. It's been in the spirit of the church for, for a very long time that a priest can bless the oil and firm when necessary. Okay. And so, so this is this is very similar to what we saw with Father Goldetti in the Sacrament of Confirmation, where okay. he expressed uh, concerns about you know, if if it's not olive oil that's being used, that does mm-hmm. start to call into question some of uh, the validity of, of the sacrament here. Same thing. We just don't want to mess with uh, the possibility, you know, maybe the local diocese used canola oil or whatever, sunflower. Um, you may not know that, and so you don't want to err on, on that. Exactly, because people have the right to know the sacraments are valid. And when it comes to the validity of the sacraments, we're always to take the safer course. 
mean, you don't play with these instruments that Christ instituted as, as channels to give grace. You have to just take the safer course and do what what um, we're sure gives grace. And that also, of course, gives people great peace of mind. You don't want to be dying wondering if you're really being anointed or wondering if you're confirmed. You want to know this is valid matter as the church has always seen it to be valid. Okay. So then we move on to the actual anointing, and this is the actual sacrament itself right here. Is that correct? Yes. The anointing is the sacrament itself. And um, we'll look first at the, the traditional rite. The priest, and we mentioned this already, but it's, it's really moving, it's beautiful, it's worthy for consideration. The priest dips his, the thumb of his right hand in the oil of the infirm and anoints with the sign of the cross the specific parts of the body. So the ritual says where to anoint and gives the words, by this holy anointing, then sign of the cross, and by his tender mercy, may the Lord forgive you all the evils you have done through the power of sight. And that's when, of course, he's anointing the eyes. And then he goes to the power of hearing, the ears, the sense of smell, the nose, the power of speech, the lips, sense of touch, the hands, and the ability to walk. So yes, by this holy anointing, and his tender mercy, may the Lord forgive you all the evil you have done. So the focus is you have used these senses. You've used your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your feet, your hands. You've used them to offend God. You have wounds in your soul because of the way you used these parts of your body. And therefore applying this holy ointment, which contains the Holy Ghost, to these parts of the body, so that God in his tender mercy takes away the remnants of sin and takes away, if sin be present, any sin which is there. So that's the actual anointing. And we mentioned before that in the case of extreme necessity, somebody's really dying on the side of the road and you have you know 30 seconds to get to them, you would just use one anointing on the forehead with a specific um, prayer which the church gives. So we do see that So the Novus Ordo Rite has all these variations. Skip confession if you want, all these options. The traditional rite does not have all those options and variations, but as a good mother, she knows there are cases where we have 30 seconds to anoint somebody. So she says, this is what you have to do in these cases. And so she is accommodating to these situations, but otherwise we just follow the entire ritual as given by the church. Then the new rite, unfortunately, has also changed the form of the sacrament, which is, again, tragic. It's one thing to change all of the rites around the sacrament, but to change the form is, is certainly very disappointing. So first, the priest anoints the forehead, saying, Through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and his mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So not nearly as beautiful. Doesn't talk about the sin. It's, it's definitely leaves much to be desired. And when you look at it side by side, tender mercy holy anointing, forgive you all of your evils. It's not there. But as a form, it does express grace being conveyed. So we're not questioning necessarily the validity, obviously. We're just saying it it's, doesn't have all the elements we would like to see. Then he anoints the hand, saying, May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. So a direct reference to sin. There's the sign of anointing with a reference to sin, but may the Lord save you and raise you up. Is that physically or is that spiritually? It's not very clear. There's an underemphasis on sin and, um, and, a, and it's a bit obscure. And then there's this option, which I think really shows that they are thinking more of bodily health and spiritual health. The priest may anoint any other part of the body, such as an injury. So in the traditional rite, the, the senses are chosen, the eyes, ears, nose, mouth, hands, and feet. because those are really the instruments which we use to sin. So they're chosen so as to heal the wounds of the soul which came through those parts of the body. Now by saying, well, anoint any part of the body which has a wound, well, that shifts everything to a physical healing rather than a spiritual healing. So we think that does show a, a shift of focus which is not is not in the spirit of the traditional form of extreme unction. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, again, uh, presumably valid. Yes. Um, if the proper oils are used, etc. The intention is there. 
the the matter of the form, all that stuff is there, but there's there's a lot to be desired, yep. like you said. Um, so there are uh, some prayers afterwards, uh, both in the new rite and in the in the traditional rite. Yes, there's certain prayers which are are prayed in both rites. In the new rite, it's it's said that they're in order to give clarity to what happened, which is interesting because we know the reason Paul VI gave for changing the rite was to give clarity. And now after all of these options and changes, we need more clarity, which is very much like, you know, Vatican II and all these ambiguous documents, which are constantly clarified. So the church, in fact, offers seven prayers here. We'll just mention maybe four of them because there's a lot to read. But seven prayers to give clarity to what was happened. Of course, in the traditional rite, it was very clear what happened. The anointing was very clear what happened. So here are some of the options. Option one, through this holy anointing, grant, name of the person, comfort in his or her suffering. When he, she is afraid, give courage. When afflicted, give patience. When dejected, give hope. When alone, give the support of your holy people. Again, it's a beautiful prayer, but it's very much natural. You know, we're, of course, hope is a supernatural virtue, but the emphasis is not on the supernatural. Option two, this is more in harmony with the nature of the sacrament. By the grace of the Holy Spirit, cure the weakness of your servant. Heal his or her sickness and forgive his or her sins. Expel all affliction of mind and body. Enable him or her to resume former duties. So we do see at least reference to the grace of the Holy Spirit, the weakness, but a big emphasis on resuming former duties. Option three contains the singular reference in the new rite to fighting evil. So good. Option three, if the priest prays it, it shows he really believes in fighting evil, but it doesn't mention the devil, which is really our primary enemy at that moment. We know at the moment of death, the devil is a roaring lion seeking one to devour. We want all that we can, all the grace we can to fight this devil. Then option four um, refers to the caregivers and a lot of prayers for the other people. So we won't go through all of them for the sake of time, but you can certainly put them all in the the subtitles there or in the text. And then we move to the Our Father. And that's the next prayer in the traditional rite. So she doesn't have specific prayers to bring clarity to the rite, but she does move to the Our Father. And both rites do have the Our Father. The traditional rite says the Our Father, as she always does. There's no no, no variety. Um, The new rite has two options for introducing the Our Father. One, let us offer together the prayer our Lord Jesus Christ taught us. Fine. Option two, mm-hmm. and now let us say with confidence as our Lord has commanded. So why two options which are so similar? Just the idea of option, <laughs> creativity, it's certainly very telling yeah. and and takes away from that solemnity of the ritual as we know it. Right. It, it is interesting, Father, when you were when you were going over those uh those prayers after the anointing that are in the the new rite. Yes. Um you know, someone who is a big fan of the new rite and the more I guess I could say the humanistic aspects of it would say, oh, well, that's good because, you know, the priest is being more compassionate and is saying specific prayers for, you know, he's able to adapt to a specific situation. And and I guess my my pushback, and correct me if I'm wrong, Father, is, well, Father, you would do the the sacrament of extreme unction as it's prescribed, but then afterwards or before, you're you're going to be charitable and you're there, you're caring, you're going to say some prayers with the family, with the caregivers, with the fa- you're going to say some of these prayers or you're going to speak about some of these things. It's not like the priest is a robot. You come in and do this and then there's no charity or, or, or compassion. Of course you have compassion. At least I think you do. I think you're a nice guy, Father. We try. <laughs> but nice is ultimately I mean, getting people to heaven. And so, right. but no, it's, it's often the case, especially when the person it can't respond well. We usually spend some time speaking in their ear trying to help them realize how dangerous their situation is, the mercy of God. So, no, we do spend time with souls. And I mean, there's been times when people are, they can't speak, where we spent, you know, hours and hours with them and holding their hand and talking to them, trying mm-hmm. to get some reaction so that we know that they want to receive the sacrament. 
So no, we, we must be full of compassion. We must take time with souls. But we'll do that before the sacrament begins so as to make sure they're disposed right. for the sacrament um, when they are in a state where they can't really um, communicate with us. And we can also do it after the sacrament. The sacrament is you know, a very sacred sign right. instituted by Christ. And also we have to know the church knows what's best for us. Of course, the church in a human element, as we've seen in the crisis series, has human beings who fail constantly, and we all are sinners. But the church, as our mother, knows what we need at that moment. And she crafted these prayers, which are full of theology. They are very serious. They're in order to bring the grace she knows we need. And we do need to have this sense of relying on our mother when we're dying to receive the graces that she wants to give us, because she is the teacher, you know, of all mankind, as our Lord said to the apostles, go teach all mm -hmm. nations. Well, in the liturgy, she's teaching us. She's teaching us what's most important right now, and she's guarding the validity of the sacrament, which is very important as well. Right. I just wanted to make sure I bring that up in case there are, there are some watching who are not familiar with the traditional rite. Um, you know, in, in my own case, my when my mother passed away some years back, there was one of our priests was there and spent, like you said, like an hour with her, mm -hmm. speaking with her and talking and comforting her and then he did the, and then he did the sacrament. Yep. Um, because you know that part is not in the ritual. Exactly. But that's that's obvious. That's compassion. That's you're, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. Yes, exactly. Um, we we give them all the time that they need, especially at that time in their life. Right. Right. Well, that was a little sidebar. Thank you for uh, thank you for indulging that. Um, next, we get to the conclusion of the rite, Father. Yes. So the traditional extreme unction continues to beg God that the son of iniquity, the devil, has no power over the soul. And finally, express praise explicitly for physical health as well. So we're fighting the son of iniquity. We're fighting the principalities and powers of hell, the devil. And we also, to the extent that it helps the soul get to heaven, we pray for physical health. So the Novus Ordo sacrament of the sick has four options here, four conclusions you can choose from. So again, just true to her variety. Um, the first one asks for a blessing and healing. Okay, a blessing and healing. Is it a spiritual blessing? We hope so, but there's again the reference is not is not clear. And then the second, may the Lord guide you and give you strength. May He watch over you and give you peace. Okay, well, we want strength, we want peace. It's it's, it's there, but is it eternal peace? The, the traditional right when she speaks of peace, it's it's unending peace. Third option, may God of all consolation bless you in every way and grant you hope all the days of your life. May the Lord restore you to health and grant you salvation. So here, finally, we have a direct reference to salvation. So hopefully, the penitent, the patient, hears option three. And if he or she does, there will be a direct reference to salvation. But, um, but it's only after praying for health again. So the inversion of the order remains to the end. And then find the fourth option is if the Holy Eucharist is still present, because, of course, viaticum can be given, which we didn't bring in, but viaticum is often given if it is their final moment in the traditional rite. And then there is the final apostolic blessing we do at the moment of death, which to which is attached in a plenary indulgence. So there are things we do after the actual sacrament itself, the viaticum and apostolic okay. blessing. She does a reference to the fact that there may be the Holy Eucharist left, which when we take the Holy Eucharist as a Viaticum, we take as many particles are needed, which is usually one for the dying person. So, right. um, so I'm not sure what in their right would, um, would indicate there'd be extra um, host left, but they give a blessing with the okay. remaining host. Um, so that was, that was my next question. So Viaticum is given to the, to the sick person if they're able to receive it after the sacrament is, is completed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Viaticum and apostolic blessing. And of course okay. it's, so often we give last rites, extra unction without the Viaticum because Viaticum is meant to be their final Holy Communion. So, mm -hmm. so extra unction is given as soon as there is some sickness, which will lead to death. The Viaticum is when, all right, this is it. We don't suppose they'll live much longer. This will be the last Holy Communion. It's given as Viaticum. And it's to, okay. to accompany them on the way, the way from this life right. to the next. And we give an apostolic blessing by which um, we ask that from the treasures of all of the, of all of the merits of all the saints in heaven, that from that treasury, 
the church pours upon them the merits needed to to make reparation for all their sins before to die. Okay. So that's basically kind of a blow by blow of, of both of the rights. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've already discussed this a little bit, but to kind of end our discussion, Father, should we hold, uh, or is it the opinion uh, of, of yours and of the society of St. Pius X that this, uh, the new right of the sacrament of the sick, is, is it a valid way of receiving extreme unction? Yes, we don't recommend that people receive it as such, but as long as the matter is valid, that's the biggest question, like with confirmation, we doubt the, the um, oil of the infirm made from non-olive oil. So as long as olive oil is used in making the oils, then all the other elements are present for validity. Okay. Um, so as that's our, that's our position on the sacrament. But I think it's worthy to note that the creativity, in a certain sense, is an enemy to validity. Um, it doesn't invalidate it necessarily, but we've seen many scandals recently where priests were baptizing and changing the very form. Well, why did they do that? There's probably different reasons, but I think one reason is the fact that they're able to be creative in everything surrounding the sacrament. So if they're constantly given the license to be creative, what prevents them from extending that creativity to the form itself? Um, so we do think that this creativity is a problem. And also, the traditional sacraments really just tell the priest, through the beauty of the prayers, through the theology which is expressed, it really forms the priest to know what he's doing. And we think that these new forms do lack something and hurt the priest. But we're not doubting the validity in itself. We're just saying that this creativity we think is an enemy to performing the sacraments as they ought. Because we know that a priest intends to do what the church does when he meticulously and solemnly follows the ritual. Now we have a ritual which encourages creativity. So it's mm-hmm. problematic, but we do hold the sacraments when the proper matter is present to be valid. Okay. Well, this has been very interesting, and and it's great to, to review this. This is... Um I don't want to say it's an underrated sacrament, but you know, people don't really think about extra unction because it's thinking about death and, mm-hmm. but it is really a beautiful uh, sacrament and, and worthy to be um, meditated on and, and, and thought about. Yes. I think in fact, it's a good thing to, to reflect upon it, meditate on the prayers. You can find the prayers I'm sure online or, and before it's time for death is to reflect upon these prayers because they do teach us the dispositions of soul we want to have when we die. Yeah, and just quickly, thank you, Father, for uh, for, perform- for for performing this sacrament uh, and for all the care that you're giving uh, to faithful during this time. It's um, we owe you all a, a huge debt of gratitude for being there for us. So thank you. You're welcome. It's certainly our pleasure. All right, thank you, Father. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Andrew. God bless you.